Howard Brown health workers plan to strike for the second time in less than a year. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Justin Lawrence about a proposal to provide all workers in Chicago 10 paid days off starting next year that has been set up for final city council vote. So my understanding, there's negotiations happening right now on the paid leave ordinance uh, that was held in committee on Monday. Look, there's no secret of who I am and and my values. Standing up for working people is what I do. It's what I've done throughout my entire tenure of the course of these short five months. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, November 6th. You shouldn't have to explain to your bank why your business matters. Wintrust Commercial Banking doesn't rely on clients to educate them. They have dedicated teams of Chicagoland-based experts specializing in a range of industries, allowing them to offer customized solutions. Built in the area for the area, Wintrust offers the tools and support your business needs to thrive in Chicago. Be your bank's top priority at Wintrust Commercial Banking. Meet your future banker at Wintrust.com slash banker. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks, FDIC slash EHL. A proposal to provide all workers in Chicago with 10 paid days off starting next year has been set up for a final city council vote. Here to discuss that, Cranes reporter Justin Lawrence. Justin, welcome back. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hey, Amy. Thanks for having me on again. Of course. So uh, tell me what's happening with this uh, paid leave situation. You know, there's kind of two coalitions here, right? One led by the Chicago Federation of Labor, kind of a worker advocacy group called Arise Chicago, you know, and then aldermen who are who are on their side. And then the other side of the table uh, has been led by business industry groups, um, the Chicago Land Chamber of Commerce, and then, you know, associations representing hotels, uh, restaurants, um, retail merchants, and, and all the rest. So they've been trying to come up with a plan that everybody can live with. I guess I should set the stage like this. So the state is changing their paid leave policy starting next year, and that will be five days of paid leave for everyone. And, you know, Chicago wants to wants to stand out as being above the state regulations. Um, you know, we're a labor town and and we have a new mayor that, that comes from labor. You know, he used to work for the Chicago Teachers Union. So this, you know, the city has been pushing to go beyond that. Um, and what they finally came up with was voted on in committee on Thursday and it will be voted on at city council on Tuesday. And the mayor's office is hailing it as, as a sort of compromise, but it's hard to say it's a compromise because the business coalitions that were there negotiating don't support this. You know, the mayor's office kind of brought new people into it uh, at the end and they they agreed to it, but it's hard to really call it a, a true compromise. Running on my values and governing on my, governing on my values is what I said I would do and I'm doing and that I don't negotiate my values. But I said we can negotiate the details around our values. I mean, how confident are you that this is going to to get to a compromise? And if it doesn't, are you worried about it essentially, you know, lowering the benefits for workers without the accompanying buy-in from the business community to support it? Yeah, thank you for that question. It's also a good one. You all are on a roll today. Um, look, there's no secret of who I am and, and my values. Standing up for working people is what I do. Um, 
What I also said was, is that I'm going to bring people together. I made a commitment to doing that. And I've held on to every single promise that I've made. And so the business community is at the table because I want to hear from them. And so what's the crux of the opposition from the small business community? Yeah, the businesses, you know, business chambers, they're saying it, it just goes too far too fast that it's kind of they're making the, uh, the almost the case for the mayor's office because they say this is so much more expansive than other big cities. You know, the big cities, New York and L.A. that we compete with uh, for businesses that it's just so far beyond what they require that the business community can't live with it, which is obviously something the the mayor's office and the Federation of Labor like to champion, right, that this is sets Chicago, it sets a new standard and Chicago is happy to kind of lead the way there. But the, the specific issues that came up were around how many days the companies would have to pay out their employees when they were either terminated or they left on their own, um, you know, unused pay time off that they had not used that they would have to since you know just pay them for a day's work for a day they didn't take off and that kind of became the biggest point of contention there was other stuff i don't know how far into the weeds you want to go but we can if you want to uh, yeah definitely let's do it okay so the the payout was the biggest sticking point but then there's also this it's called a private right of action and that is a is a fancy way of saying a worker can sue their employer if you know if their employer is not sticking up to their end of the bargain under these requirements if they're not providing their days off or they're repeatedly you know denying their time off and and not letting them take them or if you know if they're not accruing at the rate that they're supposed to accrue and you know if there's anything funky going on the the employee can can sue their employer under the proposal that was approved there's a year delay in that private right of action initially they could do it as soon as the policy goes into effect then it was extended to six months. Finally, it's it's 12 months now. But even that doesn't really satisfy the business community. You know, that year allows employers to kind of understand the rules so they don't make minor mistakes that lead to lawsuits. But the business community also wanted what's called a cure period. Before an employee could sue their employer, they would have to kind of work with the city regulatory agency that oversees this and kind of work with their uh, employer to figure it out before a lawsuit is filed. So that is not in the in the um, ordinance as written. So that's another point in the contention that didn't bring the business community on board. Yeah. And so overall, from where this kind of started to where it is now, what kind of tweaks and concessions and compromises were made along the way? Yeah. So the big, the big change is, you know, when this was introduced back in uh, July, it was 15 days, right? Um, it was just 15 days off for any reason that you wanted. All of that would be paid out if the employee left. So that's been brought down to 10 days and it's been split between five sick days and five PTO days that you can take for any reason. So that was the the big, the biggest concession. And then, yeah, they made concessions around the margins on the, the payout and the, the lawsuit action. But the other big exemption happening here and I guess Chicago Land Chamber of Commerce would probably dispute that I just said big concession, but small businesses are somewhat exempt. Essentially, companies 50 and under are totally exempt from having to do the payout when their employees leave. And then companies from 51 to 100 employees, uh, they are exempt for one year, essentially. So 
you know, the administration says, hey, we, we heard your concern. We, we understand you're worried about that. And we're helping small businesses who, you know, probably don't have HR employees. And this is a little more burdensome to them. But ultimately, it wasn't enough to get the, the broader coalition on board. And, and so for those smaller businesses with, with fewer than 50 workers on the books, the PTO part of it still exists. It would just not be the payout upon departure. Yeah, right. So they, they still have to do everything else. They're still required to give 10 days off and all the other things included. You know, there's a carryover of up to 10 days on sick days, if, um, you know, if you work there long enough. So they're still required to do everything else. They're just exempted from that specific payout portion. And the timing of that changes too. You noted in reporting that this would be sick days after 30 days on the job and paid days off after 90 days. And that's different from where it is now. Is that correct? Well, it's a little hard to say that it's different from where it is now because, you know, the five PTO days aren't required right now. Right now, the city only requires five sick days. That is kind of standard. I don't think that was was negotiated too hard, you know, because it, it is kind of understandable that you don't hire someone and they immediately take five days off, you know. So I don't think that was as big as point of contention. The interesting part of that, though, is that the city itself, you know, the city acting as an employer is exempt from that. And that, you know, I tried to to press the city on that. They essentially say it's it's very complicated because the city uses, you know, outdated technology to track these things and they can't immediately fix that. When you get hired as a city employee, you probably have many more paid days off than what this ordinance requires because, you know, 95% of the city is union employees that work through collective bargaining agreements. But when you can actually start beginning your your PTO is not until the calendar change year. So if you start in January, you almost have to wait a year. If you start in December, it's it's 30 days. So that will not change through this. Um, you know, I tried to get the city to say, like, as we're requiring private companies to do this, maybe it's a good time for us to update our systems. And, you know, I think the city is not opposed to that. They just say it's not an easy thing to do. So we're exempting ourselves. and. You know, I will say business, you know, business groups weren't exactly, uh, they weren't exactly calling like the hypocrisy there. I think they weren't, they weren't trying to get the city to, you know, concede on that. It's just an interesting thing that came up during negotiations. And so now this has been uh, teed up for the final city council vote. When is that expected to happen? As of now, it's Tuesday, Tuesday morning, the city council meets at 11 a.m., you know, it's probably because this happens all the time in city council now, it's probably likely that opponents of the measure will will defer it until uh, a future city council meeting. Uh, you know, that just kind of happens all the time now. I, I don't think that changes much. It, it does appear that the supporters, the mayor's office has the votes to approve this whenever it does fin- finally come up for a vote. Right. But speaking of city council, I can't let you go until we talk about kind of a uh, perhaps memorable city council meeting uh, the other day. Tell me what happened on Thursday. I I don't even know if I can. I I tried my best to to explain it for our readers yesterday in a story, and I hope I captured some of it. So there was a special city council meeting called to take up three items, but the most important was to put up a refer- a non-binding referendum question on the March primary ballot to essentially ask Chicago voters, should Chicago keep its sanctuary city status? You know, we have a welcoming city ordinance that essentially prevents 
the city, uh, CPD, um, other regulatory agencies from working with ICE, working with Border and Custom Immigration Enforcement on their investigations. And, and it's prevented the city from working with them. You know, we've had this in, in effect since uh, Mayor Harold Washington. It's been tweaked over the years, most significantly under Lori Lightfoot. So they want to put that non-binding, right? Um, it would not require the city to do anything if voters approved it. But, you know, what they're really trying to do is is show the mayor that there's opposition to the city's current sheltering and caring for all the asylum seekers that are coming into the country. If we changed our welcoming city ordinance or, or if we got rid of it, it wouldn't really have a practical effect on whether or not we we welcome these uh, asylum seekers ar- arriving and try to provide shelter for them. But it's kind of a, you know, it's a way to make a point, right? So that's what they were trying to do yesterday. And it didn't go well, <laughs> is, is I guess the easiest way to say it. So the mayor's, you know, the mayor's, the mayor, by the way, he is not, he was not there. He's in Washington, D.C. Uh, to meet with the White House and pressure them for more money to help, to help care for the migrants. Um, but, you know, the mayor's uh, supporters tried to deny a quorum. You know, every city council meeting has to have at least 26 members there to, to even begin the meeting. So they initially did that, and then they recessed for a while. And when they came back, they had exactly 26, so they could start to take up the business. I don't know. Do you want to ask another question before I keep rambling here? I Maybe steer me back to exactly the, the point of contention yesterday. Fine. Just as a point of order, this body has already made and approved a motion allowing several people to participate remotely once the initial quorum was made. Nothing in our rules declares their presence voided out by a new quorum call. As the meeting progressed, according to your reporting, it it got pretty tense and some bold moves happened. Tell me about what happened specifically. Oh, man. So, yeah. So so in the absence of denying them a quorum and not even let the meeting beginning, you know that the mayor's supporters started using other parliamentary tricks. They're not really tricks, but just like pointing to the rules of of the city council and saying that because because that referendum question was actually considered at a prior meeting and it was deferred and published that it that it couldn't be taken up for a vote on Thursday and the or the supporters of that uh, argued against that and there was some procedural votes that no one really knew what was happening and eventually um, Sam Nugent Alderman Sam Nugent of the 39th ward she was kind of taking Johnson's place because he was absent you know, she essentially told them you have two options. So Alderman Lopez, as we don't have quorum, our options are to recess or adjourn. If, if we don't recess, then we adjourn. President, is, what, what is the number that the clerk has produced? So the clerk, per the, pardon me, folks, the roll call per the clerk just now was 25. We have 25 people with four people who we've given the right to vote to. We don't have... You are intentionally disenfranchising three black aldermen right now. If you adjourn the meeting, then that vote is not going to happen. If you recess the meeting, it could possibly happen. Uh, So then there's lots of arguing about what to do there. And eventually, um, Sam Nugent adjourned the meeting. You know, she said, look, I gave you guys two options. You're not... You're not really taking either, so I'm making the decision. We're going to adjourn the meeting. Uh, 
And because of the way she did it, some people thought she didn't do the correct way. So there's a lot, lots more chaos after that. Eventually, they turned off the lights in city council and the chamber, kind of in an effort to get everybody out and say that the meeting's officially done. That didn't work. Everybody still stayed in the chamber as reporters like me kind of just stood there with like our mouths open, like, wow, we've never seen this before. <laughs> and eventually, Alderman Raymond Lopez um, of the 15th War, who is, you know, one of the proponents pushing this issue, he walked up to the rostrum himself and declared that the meeting was not adjourned because it wasn't done so correctly. So I move that we recess the meeting until Tuesday. And uh, by voice vote, a bunch of aldermen said aye. And he slammed his hand on the table because the sergeant of arms had already taken the gavel out of the room. Uh, so, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you know, it was chaos. I, I, I just don't know. I walked in. I asked some other yeah. reporters yesterday. I was like, I need please provide me with like 12 synonyms of chaos because I can't just keep saying this. <laughs> you, know, right. uh, you know, so, but this isn't exactly settled, right? So like about half the city council thinks that this meeting was adjourned, which means it'll never come up again. And about half thinks that it's recess until Tuesday at 9.45. So I'm imagining a, another chaotic scene on, on Tuesday morning at 9.45 when some of them, are trying to begin a meeting and others are saying the meeting's already over and uh, you can predict how that will go. I, I imagine lots more uh, kind of wacky scenes. And will the mayor be, uh, is it, I mean, is the plan that the mayor will be back in time for that meeting? Yes, the mayor will be back from DC. And remember that um, there's a, there's a separate regular city council meeting scheduled for Tuesday uh, when the paid leave proposal is supposed to come up. So that that's supposed to happen at 11. So, you know, the mayor will be here. He'll be in the building, whether or not he's downstairs at 9.45 a.m. to preside over this meeting. I think it's unlikely. So, um, yeah, I think there will be a lot of, you know, the only way to avoid a, a true, truly kind of chaotic and kind of, I mean, it is funny that this, you know, it was like a circus, but it's also very sad that this is the state of affairs yeah, here in Chicago. Right. Yeah. So on Tuesday, like the only way to avoid kind of another sad, chaotic scene like that is for kind of lots of phone calls to happen and negotiations to happen to figure out a way forward here. But I am not banking on them coming up with a solution. So I, I do think Tuesday will be another another crazy day at City Hall. Sure, sure. And, and you know, we've talked about many kind of like parliamentary maneuvers to delay a vote or to, you know, buy time to do something. So that part's not unusual. What's unusual is that if it, of it like just breaking into chaos like that. And, and as you said, like it is kind of a commentary on the state of things. So it'll be interesting to see what happens on Tuesday. I'm not going to bother you on Tuesday, uh, but I hope that you come back on the podcast very soon. <laughs> you will be very busy on Tuesday, but, but soon after that, when the dust settles, uh, I hope you'll swing back through and, and update us all. Yeah, and we, we have to eventually talk about, you know, they, they do have this whole budget. Um, yeah. They do have to figure out how to spend $17 billion next year. So that, you know, that's for a final vote on, I think, November 15th. So sometime between now and then, we should probably talk about that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Lots to do on our to-do list then. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck on Tuesday, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks. Folks, under... Sergeant at Arms, could you kindly help us?
Coming up, the Illinois Institute of Technology is opening a life sciences lab in Fulton Market. We'll talk about it and lots more right after this. Discover the future of technology with This Is AI, a podcast brought to you by the AI experts at West Monroe. It's time to stop hearing about AI, and it's time to start applying it to your business. Explore AI's diverse applications from basic concepts to complex use cases. Get practical advice and real-world insights. Listen to This Is AI on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or watch on YouTube. Learn more at westmonroe.com slash thisisai. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Hundreds of Howard Brown health workers, in response to what they describe as management's unfair labor practices, are planning to strike later this month, marking the second strike at the health system in less than a year. Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis reported that the Illinois Nurses Association, which represents 366 Howard Brown workers, said in a statement Friday that it delivered a 10-day strike notice to Howard Brown management and intends to begin the strike on November 14th. Union members voted 96 percent in favor to strike. Davis noted that the INA said it decided to strike after what it described as repeated violations of labor law by Howard Brown management and, quote, prolonged negotiations that have yet to produce an agreement between the parties that satisfies the union's demands. Davis reported that the INA is asking for what it called fair and equitable wages, cheaper insurance plans, and more protections for laid-off workers. The union said that the final straw was when the health system shortened patient visit times, doubling many providers' patient loads in a day. A health educator at Howard Brown and a union bargaining committee member said in a statement, quote, Instead of bargaining in good faith, we have seen our CEO consistently violate labor law in an attempt to make changes without negotiating them. According to the union, the next bargaining session will be on November 7th and will take place with a federal mediator present. If an agreement is not reached before November 14th, the strike would last two days with picket lines at North and Southside Howard Brown Health Clinics. But Davis also noted that the upcoming planned strike marks just the latest chapter in a contentious dispute between Howard Brown management and its workers who unionized in August of 2022. About six months later, in January, those same workers took a three-day strike at several of the health system's clinics in protest of 61 workers getting laid off. Howard Brown management said at the time that the layoffs were necessary because the organization faced budget gaps. But the union said management didn't bargain fairly over the layoffs and subsequently filed complaints with the National Labor Relations Board. In August, the NLRB said its investigation found that Howard Brown management unlawfully bargained over and implemented the layoffs without reaching a legitimate impasse, forcing Howard Brown to offer reinstatement to all 61 laid-off workers, only 25 of which took the offer, according to reporting from Cranes at the time. Walgreens Boots Alliance is trimming bonuses for workers amid a broader push to reduce expenses. A Walgreens spokesperson confirmed to Cranes that Walgreens won't offer bonus payouts to corporate team members and will reduce bonus payouts for pharmacy and store managers, but declined to share further details about the reason behind the decisions. Similarly, Village MD, the primary care provider majority owned by Walgreens, won't give bonuses to most of its workers for the year, although frontline clinic staff who see patients will receive bonuses that are, quote, reduced from historical amounts, according to a memo to staff reportedly viewed by Bloomberg. 
Bloomberg also reported, citing the memo, that Village MD's contributions to worker retirement funds will become what was described as a yearly discretionary match based on business performance. The company previously matched 4% of contributions for each pay period. Bloomberg reported that Village MD is also cutting other expenses, including for travel, outside vendors, and holiday parties. Bloomberg further reported that Walgreens is in cost-cutting mode and has brought on new CEO Tim Wentworth to attempt to turn around the business. It's seeking $1 billion in savings in an effort to shore up its finances. And while it's invested heavily in building out healthcare assets in recent years, the focus has now shifted to streamlining those operations. The cost-cutting measures also came during a week in which Walgreens dealt with a second round of pharmacists walking off the job. Though the company would only confirm a few store closures during the three-day walkout from Monday to Wednesday, organizers ahead of time said more than 2,000 pharmacists between Walgreens and CVS were planning to participate in the walkout. Bloomberg also noted that Walgreens' U.S. healthcare segment, which includes Village MD, posted an adjusted operating loss of $566 million in the 12 months through August 31st on sales of about $6.6 billion. Following a number of changes at Baxter International aimed at strengthening the company's long-term outlook, the medical device and equipment company beat Wall Street estimates in the third quarter and is projecting modest growth for the full year. Catherine Davis reported that Baxter's third quarter revenue grew 3% to $3.71 billion compared to the same period a year ago, beating a consensus by Zach's Investment Research. Adjusted earnings per share in the quarter was $0.68, cents, also beating Zach's estimates. Davis also reported that Baxter projects sales growth of 1% to 2% for the full year and adjusted earnings per share in the range of $2.57 to $2.60. Davis also noted that Baxter's CEO told investors on the company's third quarter earnings call that sales exceeded expectations because of successful new product launches in its pharmaceutical segment, demand for its medical and therapies products, and improved product availability in the healthcare systems and technology segment. Baxter is the 18th largest public company by revenue in the Chicago area, according to Crane's research, and employs about 60,000 people. The recently reported earnings represent the first time that Baxter reported financial figures after the divestiture of its biopharma solutions business, the sales of which grew 16 percent in the third quarter to $191 million. Davis noted that the earnings also show the state of the business under its new operating structure, which leadership says will optimize the company's performance following a tough 2022 in which Baxter took on a $3.1 billion impairment charge on its $10.5 billion purchase of hospital bed maker Hillrom. Davis noted that Baxter is now broken into four segments, which includes medical products and therapies, healthcare systems and technologies, and pharmaceuticals. The final segment, kidney care, is the framework under which Baxter will spin off its dialysis business into a standalone publicly traded company called Vantiv. Add the Illinois Institute of Technology to the growing list of life sciences players moving into Fulton Market. Crane's John Pletz reported that the university, now known as Illinois Tech, says it's taking a full floor, or just over 34,000 square feet, of lab space in the Fulton Labs building at 400 North Aberdeen, which also houses the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub Chicago and Portal Innovations. 
Pletz noted that the move is another sign of the resiliency of the neighborhood just west of the loop and further evidence that developer Trammell Crow's early bet on the neighborhood is paying off. The developer launched Fulton Labs with a building at 1375 West Fulton in 2019 and built the second lab facility on Aberdeen, which opened last year. Trammell Crow also plans to open lab facilities in Hyde Park and Evanston next year. Pletz further noted that Illinois Tech, whose main campus is in Bronzeville, says it plans to house faculty, researchers, and students in the Fulton Labs building. Although the small private university is well known for engineering, computer science, and architecture and design, it also has biomedical and biological engineering expertise. And for many years, its Bronzeville campus was one of the few places that startups could find lab space. The university said that researchers will focus on biomedical and biological engineering, including sensors, separation science, and electrochemical energy materials, along with more biology-focused research like therapeutics development. The lab space will open next fall and will be the fifth campus for Illinois Tech, which has about 8,500 students, most of whom are pursuing grad degrees. Its law and business schools are downtown, its Institute for Food Safety and Health is in Bedford Park, and the school also has a campus in Wheaton. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, Justin Lawrence. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.